fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into the program. It is the Practice Friday, the pre-Friday celebration. I think that's going to be the new term, honey, here on this program. The Practice Friday. It's almost as good, not quite, but kind of, sort of. If you work those four-day work weeks, then welcome in. You already made it to your weekend. If not, we got some more time. If you work through the weekends like I do as well, then it doesn't really matter much, but it's the symbolism of what it actually stands for. So welcome into the program, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, However you watch or listen, it's always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of the hour today, we have Dr. Wayne Weingarten, a new guest with us. He's with the Pacific Research Institute. We'll chat with him about the homelessness situation in the great state of California. And I have to admit, I, I have to laugh a little bit. My brain hurts because I try. And you know on this program, we are not... I mean, I'm a Republican, we're conservative, registered Republican myself. However, it's not really about partisan issues. It's not about Republican, Democrat. We like to speculate about political parties. I like to, like we had the last few days, kind of step back and observe how the political parties operate, how they're campaigning, how they're preparing themselves for election time. But at the end of the day, it's not about the two-party system. The two-party system was never supposed to be a thing in our governance and our political system. And it's really about the candidate and not the party itself. Although right now in a system that we have, while we need to clean up the parties, the parties are the ones that really are able to be productive and actually get things done, which is why third-party candidates don't do well, which is why independent candidates very rarely do well, which is why all these third parties out there try to at least be somewhat relevant because, obviously, if you unite as an organization or a group of individuals with a louder voice, with a lot of people that support you and a lot of money behind you, you can be influential and you can actually advocate for some type of policy. And unfortunately, right now, however, the Republican and Democrat parties are really not that far apart when it comes to not doing a whole lot in Washington, D.C. And I think that's why so many people flocked it to Donald Trump back in 2016. We're not going to go down the Trump mindset here, but I do have to laugh because the political parties, while they say they want to solve issues, it really breaks my brain sometimes on trying to understand how some people operate and just view the world around them. And unfortunately, a lot of them are on the Democrat side and registered Democrats. Again, this is not just a shot specifically at Democrats because there's a lot of Republicans that do the same. Mitt Romney for one of them, which good news there, it sounds like he might be challenged uh, through the state speaker of the House in his state that may be challenging him for a Senate run, which would be hilarious to watch. And here we go. It's going to be uh, another Liz Cheney all over again where he could lose big time if they campaign that one properly. But overall... The ones where it really makes your head scratch a little bit and you just feel a little bit dumber listening to their thoughts are many on the progressive side of the aisle. And sometimes as Republicans or conservatives or just some that are not on the idea of centralized big government, more government regulation, more government controlling your daily life, just people who oppose those sorts of things really have to sit back and chuckle a little bit on how stupid 
Some individuals handle certain situations. This is a headline that I heard earlier today. A hat tip to CBS News on this report. New York City Mayor Eric Adams says it costs the city $383 a night per migrant family or nearly $10 million a day for all those here seeking asylum. Our new estimates have us spending nearly $5 billion on this crisis in the current fiscal year. And he says it'll be $12 billion over the next three years. There are nearly 60,000 asylum seekers now in New York City, 18,000 of them children, which has some parents protesting. We don't know who our kids are going to be surrounded. They can sit anywhere. Our kids aren't going to be protected. Oh, my. Oh, my. Again, that hit. <laughs> oh, there's so many directions that you can go with that. That's that's a legitimate news report that ran across the nation earlier today. Hat tip to CBS News on that reporting. This is the mindset. Now, I want to put this into perspective for you, and we've talked about it a little bit before. We've talked, obviously, about the issue going on at the southern border, the flyers that were sent from uh, Mayor Eric Adams to the southern border telling migrants, please don't come to New York City. We have extremely expensive housing. We're running out of resources. Food's really expensive. It's one of the most expensive places to live in the nation. Don't come here. Wonderful campaign tactic. Be like, hey, my, my state and my city is doing so well that we don't want you here because it's way too damn expensive and you can't afford it spoken like a typical elitist, but also the paranoia of how much they have to spend on their social programs. Now, that being said, put this into perspective for you, shall we, for just a moment. We have a mayor of the one of the largest cities in the entire nation, also in the entire world of New York City. The Big Apple, the heart of civilization right now as we know it, that promotes government programs, that promotes the social welfare programs, that is a big-time Democrat, who lets crime rates go rampant within his city without trying to crack down and beef up law enforcement, because remember, law enforcement's super evil and probably racist and the most horrible thing ever. He is an advocate for open border policy and an advocate for the Joe Biden immigration policy with massive amounts of individuals coming across the southern border. But yet, while he's the biggest... He's supposed to be the baddest. He's supposed to be the best. That's awesome. Don't come here because we can't afford you. Now, if the largest, one of the largest cities in the entire nation that has a multi-billion dollar uh, city budget every single year can't handle the migrants that are being shipped there, which honestly are not that many compared to what we're seeing in other places around the country, especially the ones that are trying to be housed right there at the southern border and numerous different small little communities. If the largest city in the entire nation can't handle those buses coming up to the area, how in the world does he expect them to be housed and resourced and take, taken care of properly in other parts of the country? If you're the biggest one, you have the largest budget, a multi-billion dollar budget every single year for your city alone. Many of them going into social programs because you have a lot of people that live that below that poverty line because that poverty line threshold is really set pretty high in the city of New York with how expensive it is just to live there to get a place. You have people that are just taking up your hotels. You have crime running rampant to the point you even have members of the city community who, by the way, are majoritively probably relatively Democrat or left-leaning in some way, shape, or form, saying, I don't know who my kid's going to school with. This is a problem. 18,000 of them children, which has some parents protesting. We don't know who our kids are going to be surrounded. They can sit anywhere. Our kids aren't going to be protected. (laughs) They're not going to be protected. 
you would think with this type of argument that they would be a little bit more tougher on the on the southern border. Hey, we can't handle this anymore. If the largest city in the nation, one of the largest cities in the nation, can't handle this, maybe we should start uh, reviewing or reconsidering our position on the southern border, and maybe we should start calling out the Biden administration for the lack of immigration policy that we're seeing right now at the southern border. You would think that would be the common sense thing. They're complaining about people coming. The citizens are complaining about people coming. They're concerned about the safety of their children. The children are going to be intermingling with the immigrants coming from the southern border. I know. Very scary there. And then Eric Adams goes on CBS Morning News this morning, a morning show on TV, and says this. Well, think about what happened in the last few um, months. Uh, we have created a funnel. All of the bordering states have now took the funnel right to New York City. Okay, first off, I want to stop right there. The funnel. Uh, apparently, to him, everybody's going to New York City, which, good for them. If you have 100,000, 200,000 migrants that are coming in over illegally and we're just giving them the passport, we're giving them the ability to stay here, declaring them as a refugee status, then yes, send them to the large city that's open border policies, that believes in the sanctuary state mindset, that believes in taking care of individuals through their wonderful government centralized social programs. Yes, send them there because guess what? If, again, you can't handle it, how is a small town in rural America, in middle America, that has 5,000 people as an entire population, how are they supposed to handle that situation. Explain that one to me, Eric Adams. But he continues. New York is the, New York City is the economic engine of this entire state and country. Mm. Okay, if again, you, let, let's stop right there again. If you're the economic train station, baby, you are the economic hub of the country. Aren't you supposed to be able to handle this stuff? You believe in the social programs. You like the higher taxes. My golly, you're taxing people for getting big gulps and 40-ounce sodas because you want them to be healthy, and by golly, you're going to tax the hell out of them to make it happen. Why can't you take care of these people, and how do you expect other people to take care of it if they're not as economically awesome as what you are? Kind of interesting. If you decimate this city, you're going to decimate the foundation of what's happening. Look at Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, Houston, and now you're hearing the governor of Massachusetts. And so when people say, well, they have, we gave them $100 million, $12 billion bill? Yeah. What table are we dining When you see all the people that are just laying in the streets, you walk by, it is jaw-dropping. Yeah. And the numbers keep coming and coming when you think, there's, I I don't have any more room at the end, so to speak. Ma'am. I love it. I love it. This is the ultimate elitist mindset. People are laying in the streets. We have no more room in the hotels. It's spending $5 billion this fiscal year alone and taking care of these individuals with up to $12 billion, that's with a B, over the next three years to take care of the migrants that are coming into the New York City area. Don't decimate our economy. We are the elites. We are the largest economy in the entire country, the main economic hub for the world, so to speak, and you're bringing these people in for us to take care of and you're decimating us. Take them somewhere else. Not let's close the border and make sure this stops happening so we can get our economy back on track. No, take them somewhere else because we don't want them. We can't handle them, but we don't want to cut off that fuel supply anywhere else. And it's being used for a political stunt. Now, if it's being sent to a rural community, a small town across the nation, a Republican state, then you know what? You're just being bigoted for not accepting them. How dare you not even consider that? Because uh, remember remember during 
the, I believe it was the Obama administration, there were seven, eight, nine, ten different states that were Republican. Candace, where I'm coming from, they were one of the states that actually signed on on this to not accept the Syrian refugees because, hey, they're not refugees. Uh, to be a refugee, you have to be actually going to a, a country next to you. So, therefore, the Syrian refugees were not actual refugees. And there were numerous states that said, we're not going to take them. We will not accept them into our state. And there was that big hubbub. How dare you not accept these Syrian refugees? They need us. We are the ones that take in everybody across the world. And we get to decide, being the government, mostly Democrats majoritively, get to decide where we're going to station them around the country. And ironically, they're going to be stationed in places where we could potentially start changing the voter base. We can start making things a little bit purple. We can shake up your style of lifestyle that's going on in your community. We're going to decide where to place them. And they lost their minds when Republicans chose not to accept them into the community. They were racist. They were bigoted. These guys, you're decimating our economy. Stay the hell out of our city. We don't want you here because you're just sleeping in the uh, streets. You're clogging up our hotels. We're having to pay for you, bunch of moochers. What the hell are you doing and why are you using this as a political motive to send it to our city Thanks, Republicans down at the southern borders and sending us out here. Why didn't you just keep them yourselves? Engine of this entire state and country. Mm. If you decimate this city, you're going to decimate the foundation of what's happening. Look at Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, Houston. And now. (laughs) It's hilarious to watch, man. They are imploding and they are stuck between the rock and the hard place. Do we advocate for locking down the border? Or do we just openly be the hypocrites and say, we don't want them here, but we need them to go somewhere else? This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Thanks for hanging out with us today for a practice Friday. We're going to call it that from now on. The practice Friday here on the Voice of Reason. I saw a message on one of the live streams, which you can go and find the video stream, the audio stream on the Podbean Live, on the website at HoosierReason.com. You can find the video on any of our social media at Hoosier Reason. With the video there, also on Opslins, our great partners there doing our video stream as well. Uh, but one of the comments was regarding Mayor Eric Adams out of the New York City area losing his mind over the amount of migrants coming up to the New York City area, saying, "Hey, the hotels are full. We don't have any more room. It's really expensive. The food's really being strained. The housing situation's being strained. Crime rates are going up. People are sleeping in the streets. We don't know what to do right now. Stop coming to this area, and how dare Republicans send them up this way?" Uh, message the curtain has started to be thrown back on the wizard. I've said this so many times before, and while this seems like bleak and ridiculous times in the world right now, while things seem to be happening at a faster rate, things are a little bit more negative, and maybe just because of the news coverage, there's more news outlets out there talking about so many bad things happening right now. I, and even at the same time, when I've said so many times before that I despise the technology today and wish I could go back to like living a thousand years ago, as opposed to right now, even with all of that, I am so glad that we are living at this time right now. And take a moment and just appreciate that for a second, because right now, however you want to say it, whether it's the quote unquote end of times or the end of time as we know it, 
or the end of days with some people believe that or just a new reset button that's happening and a new thing that may be arising i i've i've heard a few people say this that right now so much good is going to come out but before it has to come out all the bad has to surface and with us becoming better people better humans working to elevate ourselves to a better level that the negativity the bad in the world has to be exposed it has to come up from underground it has to come up from the shadows it has to be rising and it has to boil over because it can no longer happen in the world that we're trying to create which is a better world for everybody and i love watching this because the hypocrisy the lunacy the stupidity of what's going on right now is so blatantly obvious that even the media has a hard time trying to cover for this. But you could hear even during that conversation during the morning show on CBS with Eric Adams that the that the news anchors were just like, oh, yeah, I can't believe it. You know, this, uh, there's no more room at the end. We need to stop these individuals from coming over. So so what what do you say, Mr. Mayor, when you see all the people that are just laying in the streets, you walk by, it is jaw-dropping. Yeah. And the numbers keep coming and coming when you think... There's, I, I don't have any more room at the end, so to speak. Along with the unhoused people we already have here. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And think about the miracle that took place over the last year in April when this really started coming from a governor who wanted to use people as pawns. <laughs> use people as pawns. Even when the media hosts, look, that's not the best messaging that you want to say. Hey, New York City's awesome. It's run by a bunch of Democrats. It's the social experiment that we've always wanted. It's in ruins right now. Economically, you can't afford it. We have migrants sleeping in the streets. There's no more room at the end. Sorry, got to go. You're promoting that as a place where you think that things are doing well. And the, the bad stuff that's happening, you're blaming Republicans for shipping them there. Again, if you're the largest economy and you're the largest city, and you have the largest programs, you should be able to absorb that. You should be able to accept it. But for you to say, I can't believe they're being sent here, send them somewhere else, because we're not going to say advocate to close down the border. We're not going to advocate to actually stop this refugee nonsense coming into the country, or at least slow it down and slow down the funnel coming in. Just, oh my gosh, why are you sending them to me? Why are you sending them here? you got to send them somewhere else. Can't be doing that here. We are the breadbasket. We want everybody here to be the elites that can afford a $5,000 apartment every single month. That's who we want here. We don't want those low-income ones trying to start off. We don't want those mooching here, although we like to give away social programs and we talk about how awesome we are at doing it. We don't want to do that, especially for those people. Go somewhere else. It's wild, man. I'm telling you, the hypocrisy is being exposed. People are waking up and we're realizing just how ridiculous these policies really are. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason. With Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. By the way, programming note for you. If you know the program, if you enjoy the program, tomorrow I will be filling in for the Todd Starnes radio show. Make sure to check that out, toddstarns.com. He does middays across the nation in that iconic time slot on 150 stations across the nation. And looking forward to chatting with him, or not chatting, but filling in for his show sitting in the seat for a day i'll be doing that tomorrow and then i'll be doing it again on 
Let's see what day is that? Tuesday, the 22nd of August. I'll be filling in for his program again as well. He'll be traveling. He uh, does a show on Newsmax, filling in there. I know he's working on some stuff with Newsmax, working on some awesome projects. More information to come there soon as well. But while he's traveling tomorrow, we'll be filling in in the big seat, uh, coming out of his big uh, KWAM, KWAM, the Mighty 990 out of Memphis, Tennessee, is his flagship station, and I'll have the honor to sit in his seat tomorrow. Make sure to stay tuned in for that one. Looking forward to it. As we wrapped up this conversation with the great New York City and how Eric Adams losing his mind over all these migrants coming in, and oh, we're the greatest city. We're the biggest city in the entire nation. We have billions of dollars in our economy. It's going to be super-duper awesome, but how dare you send migrants up here because you're decimating us. You should send them elsewhere who doesn't have the resources like we do to take care of them, but they need to come in. We can't close down the border. Yeah, <laughs> can't be doing that. But you're decimating us. How could you? We're all going to die because of you. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. But let's go from one social experiment that is New York City to another social experiment with the great state of California. And what the heck's going on out there while we have a potential presidential run from Gavin Newsom after his sit-down with Sean Hannity on Fox News. He's going after many of the Republican candidates and trying to make his stand to be the next face of the Democrat Party. But what's really going on in the state of California? Because as far as I know, inflation's ridiculous. Their spending's way out of control. They have priorities that are completely messed up in the state. Not to say it's all messed up because I love the state of California, but right now, what else do we hear about in Los Angeles and San Francisco and San Diego? We hear about the massive homeless population, people living in the streets, the tent cities with them hijacking electrical poles to run TVs into their tents that go for miles. And yet the media is silent on that one. Well, because, again, he's going to be the face of the Democrat Party and the new presidential candidate moving forward. So what's that look like and how do we... What's issue. trending today? Excited to have on the program. I love this organization based out of California, the Pacific Research Institute. We've had guests on from that organization many times before. He's a senior fellow with the Pacific Research Institute, Dr. Wayne Weingarten. Wayne, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. How about you? I am living the dream. Appreciate you coming on the show very much. It's uh, it's sad and scary to think of how large some of this homeless population is in California. I mean, not coming from there. I come from Kansas, where my flagship station is right now. Uh, and we have a little bit of homeless, but nothing like California when we hear about a tent city that goes on for miles, when we hear about needing to download a poop app in San Francisco to make sure to know what streets to not go on. This is, seems to be getting a little bit out of hand, isn't it? it, it it's been out of hand. It was out of hand several years ago. So I guess what, what what's worse than out of hand? And that's really where the crisis is. I mean, you've got a, over... 70,000 people who are homeless were about, what, 12% of the of the nation's population, but 35% of the homeless, and a, a larger share of the unsheltered homeless. I mean, the, we're spending tens of billions of dollars, and as we spend more and more money, the problem gets worse and worse. So uh, clearly we're doing something wrong. That is a concern. Let's go back to the beginning of it, but what started this trend? Obviously, there's always been a small homeless population in every large city. It's just what happens. People just, you know, have addiction issues or financial problems or something happens. But what really took it to the level that it's at right now? Was it economic policy and high taxes? Was it uh, just regulation? What happened there? Well, I don't think you get a problem that's as bad as what we have without there being a lot of causes. Uh, it goes back to about 2014, so it's been happening for about a decade now, where the homeless population every year gets larger and larger. Uh, there's really 
there's an economic component, there's a social component, and there's a legal component. From the, the economic component, we continue to price people. We price people out of their homes. We make life too expensive. Energy is unaffordable. Housing is unaffordable. Housing supply is constrained. You know, so all of these just stress people out. And they're those who, you know, you don't have any room for error. So one slip up and all of a sudden, you know, if you're living at the edge, it pushes you over. That's one cause. Another issue, we continue to have policies that are destructive. So we've, let's say we've uh, defined down what is stealing. So now you can steal up to $950 and not be considered a felony. And so nobody actually prosecutes or even enforces stealing anymore. And so now we have an ability, if you're suffering with drug addiction, you can now, in effect, fund your habit. So you're funding this destructive lifestyle by stealing. So you're now bringing down the neighborhood, destroying small businesses, but also now we're subsidizing drug addiction. And then you have a court decision uh, that's actually affecting the whole West Coast. It's a Boise, Idaho case where basically the court has said, since sleep is a human function, then no camping laws can't be enforced unless that cop on the beat knows where a bed is for that person. If you can't put that person in a bed, you can't deny that person that fundamental right. That has basically undermined the ability to to move these tents off of the street. And so it, that contributes to the problem. So you can see it's so many factors coming together, all of which is just in, in insanity because it, it sets up all of the wrong incentives. And then we do that and then we wonder, well, why is the problem so bad? But that's where we are. That's wild. It almost seems like the, just the policies in general is an example. It's almost like they're just allowing the inmates to run the prison, essentially. Not just allow the inmates to run the prison, they're allowing the inmates to design the prison. Wow. <laughs> and that's where we are. That's unbelievable. I mean, is it illegal to climb up a, t- a power line and to click on to the electricity and just run a TV right into your tent? I would think that would be somewhat illegal if it were anywhere else. It would not only be illegal, it's incredibly dangerous, not just for that individual, but for all sorts of people around. And you know, obviously the entire electric grid can be impacted by that. But again, it goes to this, that the police aren't enforcing these quality of life crimes. Yeah. And so when you have that component on it, you know, that, that it, it makes it, you know, who, who's going to stop me? You, you, and you see the videos now on, on Twitter and TikTok and other social apps where just people are committing crimes and nobody's stopping them. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the next thing. Example. I mean, I'm, I'm curious on what the actual crime numbers look like and not just the government data by saying, oh, if you steal us a $900, it's not considered a crime anymore, so we're not going to count it. But the real crime and the stats I'm wondering from the Secretary of State's office in California as well on the number of businesses that are just closing because, hey, I can't keep taking hits of people coming in and stealing $900 worth of product and then me not be able to do anything about it. Well, the, the crime, it's, it's something that it's so difficult to know for exactly what you just said, right? Nobody's reporting it. So we know what the official stats are, yeah. but the official stats are, are well below what people are actually living with. In terms of the stores, that's exactly what's happening. You're seeing entire neighborhoods, particularly like in downtown San Francisco, are just emptying out. The small stores can't survive. They close down. The large stores is just not worth it. They close down. Like the drugstores that do exist, everything is locked up. So, you know, you want to buy a toothbrush, you got to go get the, uh, the the guy behind the counter to come open up the uh, 
to lock because everything's locked up. Wow. Why? Because if you don't lock it up, it's going to be stolen. How bad is the drug issue there? I know in some of the cities as well that they've tried to legalize some of the harder drugs to allow them uh, allow addicts to go in and get it from a nurse uh, injection, so to speak. So that way we don't have people overdosing in the streets and under underneath a, a a bridge with a dirty needle sort of thing. Has that contributed to this as well? Yes, it, it, it's also diminished the quality of life. I have a, a, a friend, a friend of family uh, used to be in San Francisco. Uh, actually, he worked in San Francisco, lived in Oakland, took the BART in, was afraid to sit down on the train ride in because of the stories of people sitting on uh, needles. You know, you don't know if they're dirty or clean or whatever, but you certainly don't want to sit on a strange needle. That's not the way you want to start your day. I mean, it's just, <laughs> just one personal anecdote, but it's it's those types of things. You, you, you talk about poop apps. I mean, that you know, the, the types of things that people are managing and you actually you begin to believe it's normal when it's not. And you begin to believe that this is the way it, it, it is when it doesn't have to be that way. We, but what we need, you, you need different policies, different approaches, uh, and, and you need to start thinking about this is not a way for a community to exist, nor is this fair to the people who are homeless. So that if somebody has drug addiction, they may say that they don't uh, want help, but that really doesn't matter, right? You don't have the right to sleep in a public place, and we need to start enforcing those laws. Yeah. And we need to actually make the legal challenges and bring it hopefully to the Supreme Court where this ruling by the Ninth Circuit can be reversed because you're really constraining the ability of cities to manage kind of manage the environment for people who are living there. And, and the consequence of that, by the way, just over the last couple of years, 7% of San Francisco's population has left. I mean, wow. that's just astounding. When you see that dramatic of a population change, that's got to take a massive hit on the economy, and I'm sure that they're freaking out. The problem is, though, is that we're still hyping up Gavin Newsom as some great uh, success as a governor in the state, and we don't talk about it on the national front on how bad this is. They com- The media completely blows us off and ignores it. Yeah, well, now, we've just talked about homeless. Now, now let's talk about his environmental policies. When you look at, you know, he's, he's basically, and, and we've done a study on this at, at, at PRI where we looked at, these are all the mandates they're putting on the electric grid, and these are all the consumption, like electric vehicles. By 2035, all our vehicles sold have to be electric vehicles. Well, it, it doesn't work. When you do the math, the electric grid it can't generate enough electricity <laughs> for all of the, the, of, of the cars and the uses we're putting on the system. This Don't you guys what, already uh, have yeah. like a like a brownouts and blackouts and concerns with it with the extreme heat? And Wayne, we got to take a hard break here, so hopefully we can stick over for another segment. But uh, I mean, we're already straining the grid already, and if you're forcing everybody, the amount of cars that are in the state of California to go electric, it's only going to get worse, and we can't handle what's on there right now. Lots more coming up. We got one more segment here on the Voice Reason for a Thursday. Stay here. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Boy, the time flies right on by so fast. We have so much more to talk about and so little time to do it, which means we'll just have to do it again, same time, same place tomorrow. But until then, we do have a few more minutes here hanging out with our guest. Definitely going to need him back on the program as well, Dr. Wayne Weingarten. He's with the Pacific Research Institute, which you can find online at pacificresearch.org. 
based out of the great state of California, if we can get things back on track in that great state of California. Wayne, we talked about all the disasters that are going on there, but real quickly, let's talk about some of the ways that we can try to fix this homeless population in California, or is it too far gone with 100,000 plus people, thousands of people that are all over the state that are homeless, these tent cities, these addictions that are going on, the like you said, the spending from the government, these environmental regulations. I never thought that we would get to a point where someone could cite you because you have a barbecue in your backyard and you're putting odors into the air and therefore they're going to come after you for something like that. Uh, to download a poop app to know what streets to not go down because the population is so bad with feces around the area. Is it too far gone or can we start cl- getting this cleaned up? Of course, we can get it cleaned up. I mean, the, you know, I think we, we have to be optimistic because in, in some ways there's no other choice. But in other ways, you know, we've been down this path before, uh, you know, certainly in the 1970s in California. Uh, and remember, you know, California Prop 13 in 1978 was a precursor to the Reagan Revolution nationally. So, uh, you know, California can, uh, you know, revitalize itself and it, it has to. You know, just the question is, you know, how. How, how much pain do we need to endure until that happens? But in terms of the homeless crisis, there's a number of things that we can do because it's not an issue that's unique to California in that all the states struggle with it. And so, you know, um, some of the solutions are one: uh, how can we leverage some of these private sector companies who are uh, and these charities who are doing just a, a brilliant job in terms of helping people kind of regain control of their lives and get back on a, a sustainable path where they're you know, moving towards home ownership and uh, financial security. So that uh, like one example, Shelters or Shutters, which is a, a group in Virginia, mm-hmm. and they actually uh, place people uh, with job training and uh, they have deals with different companies in the area so that you're getting the skills necessary. So for those people who are homeless for economic reasons, you can actually get those people trained uh, and, and into a, a, an income, and then you know, again, kind of getting their lives turned around. Uh, another group in, in Tennessee, uh, it's called the Crossroads Welcome Center, and they actually use the kind of uh, rooms to have a positive interaction, right, where they provide things that are helpful for homeless people, whether it's a place to sit that's air conditioned, um, you know, showers, that all, all those types of things. But they use that positive interaction as an opportunity to to transition people to the help that they might need. So if somebody's struggling with with, uh, with uh, addiction, uh, how can you kind of get them to treatment? They're going to use those kind of services as a means to uh, get somebody the services that they need. Uh, what we also need to do, and, and actually, you know, uh, the governor gets uh, credit for actually supporting this, uh, homeless courts, where you actually, you know, if we would start enforcing crimes, use those negative interactions as an opportunity to sentence people uh, to treatment or sentence people to um, a, a mental health facility where you could say, look, you know, you, you stole $800, you know, that's a crime. You're going to go to jail for three years. But it, since you're you know, addicted to drugs, if you go into this addiction program and deal with that and successfully complete it, we'll expunge your record. Because now what we're doing is we're taking someone who was homeless, who had a destructive lifestyle, we're addressing that problem, and then you can move it on. So use that negative interaction as a means to uh, kind of address that underlying problem. So if, if we focus on that type of treatment, and then we focus on 
as opposed to spending uh, in in Los Angeles, you can spend eight hundred thousand dollars, which is more than the median price of, a, of an apartment, building affordable housing. It's almost an oxymoron. Eight hundred thousand dollars affordable, but you know, there's a private organizations, one called Dignity Moves. They build uh, whole communities for fifty thousand dollars a unit. So again, there's all these solutions out there. We just need a coordinated plan that relies on these private groups and that just spends the money more effectively and that enforces our, 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 our crimes and uh, or enforces our laws against crime and just sets up the right incentives. That's the pathway back. We just need to do it. I love that. I love the opportunity. I love the the mindset to be able to get these back on track. And then we have to address the ideologue mindset from it where uh, they're teaching individuals that they're just victims of society and that will take care of you. Don't you worry because the Republican, the Trump, the MAGA man's keeping you down. And that's a whole other mindset as well. But we don't have time to get into that. It's Wayne Weingarten. You can find him at Pacific Research Institute. Wayne, it's great to have you on the program. Let's do it again real soon, my friend. And we appreciate that. That is a Fresh Today podcast up in a little bit. Back at it again tomorrow. Same time, same place. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.